Hi, welcome to the Dan Bradbury podcast where turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. In this podcast, I'll bring you resources, tips, interviews, and lots more to help to grow your business and make it less dependent on you. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome, welcome to a live episode of the Dan Bradbury podcast. And in a moment, I'll be delighted to introduce you to Vicky Shanks. Vicky is a lady with a fantastic story, and she's actually going to be speaking at the upcoming Success Mastermind event later in September. So uh, Vicky is a mental health campaigner and advocate, and she's spoken for a huge range of people, big budget companies, Johnson & Johnson, Ogilvy, spoken for the NHS, spoken for the government, the cabinet office, for uh, leaders inside of government about the topic of mental health. So Vicky, welcome. Thank you for having me. So I, uh, I'm glad to have you here. So I'm going to dive straight in at the deep end because the story, uh, and people can see it, it's documented in the Netflix documentary Kingdom of Us as well as in your book Unraveled. But take us to the 15th of September 2007, a, a day that changed your family forever. What, what happened on that day? It was the day that my husband took his own life amidst uh, drama that can only be likened to something out of Hollywood. We had dozens of police officers, police cars, CCTV vans, tracker dogs, bath, you name it, the fire brigade ambulance, they were all there. Because he'd phoned the police before he did it and told them that he was going through his own life and asked them to come and look after the children. So it was, it, it was a very, very dramatic day. We had the air ambulance and the police helicopter flying around. Bell of a day. I bet. And, and, uh, I mean, obviously, anybody taking their own life is a tragedy. And in recent years, it's become much more okay to talk about mental health, and and which is a good thing. And that's partly why we're here today. And but back then, it was made even more magnified, perhaps in your case, by the fact you had not one or two, but seven children. Yeah. Um, and, and so, what were their for context? What were their ages at the time? Pippa was six. Jamie was sixteen. So there's nine and a half years between them. But they've all got special needs. So a lot of them are autistic. The two youngest have cerebral palsy as well as being autistic. Casey is severely dyslexic. Pippa is anorexic and has EUPD and various other mental health issues. And there's a lot of depression in the family. So we've, we've come through a lot and learned a lot. All of us have learned a lot about mental health issues. And it wasn't until after Paul's death we realised that he had bipolar disorder as well as severe OCD, possibly disassociated identity disorder split personality a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists have debated that because you get very meticulous diaries and talking to the children and talking to me that's something that they have said might might be the case obviously you can't diagnose accurately posthumously but he left a lot of evidence behind and part of that was he left a, a notepad which outlined how he was going to kill all of us and then kill himself so I'm going to suicide which was another big I suppose a stark reminder of just how mentally ill he'd become wow and and, and I know that the more I've learned about your story the more incredible it really is because clearly um for anybody to go through a tragedy tragedy like that is horrifying and, and difficult uh, to imagine but the fact that you've not only come through that, not only did you keep hold of the house, you managed to raise all the children, 
into uh, healthy, happy adults. But what allowed you to, or what were the triggers that allowed you to become such an advocate rather than just trying to survive? What allowed you to become somebody that's called now upon by the government, by the NHS to talk about mental health? I think it was the, the spark, the start was the inquest because it was suicide. There had to be an inquest. And that was five months after his death. And there were people at the inquest, there were a couple of people I knew, but there were people I didn't know and I didn't realise they were journalists from the local press. And the following week, a, a piece came out, quite a large piece in the newspaper, which was very, very sensationalised. And it caused a lot of problems for the children because there was already a lot of speculation going on. I mean, back then, if people committed suicide, you didn't hear about it. It was kept very, very low-key. And Paul's death was quite high-profile because we were already a fairly high-profile family. So I took him to the press council and won an apology, and the national press picked up on the story. And it kind of snowballed from there. But also, whilst Paul was alive, we lived a very insular life. He very much kept us in what Osborne likes to call a bubble. And once he died, I realised that living in that bubble didn't suit me. And I thought, you know, we, we, can, we can do something with this to help other people. And the children are very keen as well. And I think the thing about Kingdom of Us, the, the film on Netflix about us, is that we've had so many messages from so many people all over the world saying, you saved my life. I was planning my suicide. Watch the film realised what I'd be leaving behind and now I've decided not to do it. And those are the ones that really get to you because you think potentially there we've actually saved a life by being so open about the story. So my philosophy since then has been to just be totally open because it's empowering for other people to know that they're not the only ones going through certain things. You know, lots of people are experiencing a lot of difficulties and of course, with COVID, that's kind of exploded into something slightly different, but just as just as important. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we spoke privately prior to this interview about just in, in recent weeks, just how many cases have been of suicide and murder suicide, yeah. often, often adult and children. I, I want to broaden the conversation, though. I mean, clearly, uh, suicide is one end uh, of the spectrum, yeah. but. Across broader mental health, especially for a lot of the people listening, have employees, etc., it used to be something, certainly when I was growing up, that it just wasn't talked about. Yeah. It, like, you just, it wasn't a thing. Oh, no, they're in a bad mood, or they're grumpy, or, yeah, yeah. or, or whatever. What does mental health even mean, or what, what does it mean to you? Mental health, within the workplace specifically, is about employees feeling valued, feeling empowered, feeling understood by the company when they are going through something bad. So it's it's about the workplace feeling like a, a safe zone for them. But at the same time, I think we're in danger at the moment. Mental health has become such a big issue. And with all the woke culture and everything that's going on, what I think is concerning is that People are starting to feel as though it's other people's responsibility to keep them well. Yes. And I remember speaking at Cambridge University a couple of years ago, and a lot of students were there, and they were all complaining that the university doesn't do enough for their mental health. So I said, well, what are you doing for your mental health? Do you sleep properly? Do you eat properly? 
Do you not drink? Do you not take drugs? Are you doing all the things that you can do? And the answer generally was no, because they saw it as being the university's responsibility. And I said, well, there is only so much the university can do, and there's only so much medication can do. There's only so much that therapy can do. A lot of good mental health comes down to the individual and their habits. And when it comes to the workplace, it's about encouraging those habits. It's not about hugging people through it, which sometimes is necessary. If someone's mum's dying of cancer, then yes, they're going to need that kind of support. But generally, keeping your workforce mentally well is about making them feel empowered and enabling them rather than disabling them. So it's more about the support you can give them within the workplace and understanding the huge importance of efficient communication and team building and people understanding each other and wanting to work together and having that that level of communication where people feel as though they're understood. Yes. So that's a huge, huge part. I would say probably the most important part of mental health in the workplace. Uh, where I, I kind of feel there's almost two sides or two versions of event, even though reality is it's along a spectrum when it comes to mental health, that there are perhaps employers who are more people-focused that tend to be more empathetic. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the other end, there's people that are kind of very, I don't want to say you can say less, if dismissive of their perception is people are playing the mental health card. You know, they're going to get yeah. signed off, stick for stress. So somebody listening to this as a responsible employer, because clearly if they, uh, to use your words, which I liked, uh, from, from empowering the workforce and therefore them being more productive, clearly it's good for the business. But what should they be thinking about in order to walk that fine line between giving the support that's necessary versus, I don't want to say molly coddling, but, but perhaps out of fear, mm-hmm. avoiding getting negative consequences. Yeah, you said it, it's a fine line. It really is a fine line. And I think it's a line that employers have to work on themselves in terms of how they find that middle path because mental health is being used. It is being used as an excuse by people because it's it's kind of, it's taboo for someone to say, I'm struggling with my mental health and for people to dismiss it. It has to be taken seriously now. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But as with anything, you'll have people who will abuse that. Yes. And then, of course, the people who really are struggling and really do need the support are struggling to get the support. So the more you understand your staff, the better positioned you are to know whether they are genuinely in that place or whether they're using it as a card to take the mickey, if you like. And that's where, I mean, there is some interesting, I don't do statistics normally, but there are some interesting stats I'm going to bring in on the talk about higher, middle and lower management. And I'm not going to talk about it now because it, it's too its too far reaching. So I want to discuss it properly. But it's interesting as you go down through the levels of a company, how people feel, how people feel that the person at the top is very cosseted and very protected and middle management feel very, very vulnerable. And the people, if you like, on the shop floor very often feel as though they don't really know what's expected of them. Mm. So they're working and living in fear within the work environment because they can't afford to lose their job. But at the same time, 
the information they're getting isn't quite enough for them to be able to feel comfortable knowing they're doing the right thing. So it's a it's a whole company philosophy of events and attitudes falling down within the company and how to how to protect that and how to make sure that at every level people are doing the things they need to do to make sure that the people they're managing are feeling safe within their jobs and also feeling and able to do the right job. So it's really looking at those layers and analysing within your own business what you're doing and how you can maybe improve those things. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, I, I mean that sparks in me a, a question I'd like to ask about I suppose what responsible employers would do, or another way of thinking about that being, what are some of the most common mistakes employers, business owners make? Uh, And what comes up for me answering on your behalf? Uh, uh, So I'd love to hear you elaborate a little bit on this. In your TED talk, which I forget the uh, the title, it's got over 100,000 views. Uh, You talk about how, in my words, it would be that there's people view mental disabilities like it's a problem yeah. and you talk about how some of your children may be autistic but you, you don't need they don't need a cure yeah. Could you, uh, it makes me think about how people view it as oh you're mentally well or you're mentally sick and not just no no you've just got in a lot of cases you just think differently yeah. could, you, could you elaborate yeah absolutely because it's really important and again there's been a lot of research conducted on teams and how teams work and the composition of teams and the importance of having people in a team who think differently because if you have someone on a team who is prepared to say something that maybe isn't quite PC it may not be accessible within the form that they've given it but once you actually look at it and work through it there may be some value in that that can be slightly diluted and used in a yes. very real way. Yes. So you need, and again, something else I'll talk about on the day about teams and how teams think and how they work and the absolute necessity for a team to be as diverse as possible. Because if you have a team of people who all think in very much the same way, right, you're not going to get those results because uh, they're all agreeing with each other. Have, have, you, basically. have you seen the... Um, I'm hoping I'm getting this right from memory. Matthew Syed book, I think it's called Rebel Ideas, but it speaks exactly to that point. He actually references, and I could be misquoting this book terribly, it's been a few years since <laughs> I've read it, but he references how the US security services in the lead up to the 9-11 attacks, they completely missed it because all the senior people were white, middle class, absolutely, uh, yeah. you know, Christian men, I think, um, and, and therefore they were not innovative um, in their ways of thinking or approaching the problem. And there was no diversification. So I would summarize that book as saying, is in by diversifying, you get a, a fuller picture and oh, therefore absolutely. better solutions. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's been enough research now. And I, I'm fascinated by this. So I've, I've read a lot of research. And it's absolutely 100%, 100% proven that we need not just diversity, because we think of diversity, don't we? And we think of race and religion and sexuality and those sort of things but it's not just that we need diversity in people's personalities so you need someone who's quite introverted and very meticulous 
in a team and you need someone who's a bit zany and off the wall because you need all of those components to come together in order to form a complete whole. Right. Otherwise, what you've got is different entities working on their own. Right. So you need you need a structure whereby they can all come together and, yeah, they might argue, but they'll come up with some cracking ideas because yes. of the diversity of thinking, the diversity of culture. Because if you're working in a company and the world is your market, you want to be marketing to everybody. So you need someone on your team who is black. You need someone who's Asian. You need someone from the LGBT community. You need someone from everything because you need to understand how all of those portions of society work and how they think so that you can create a rounded practice within your business. And without it, you're going to be very one-sided. Um, I love it. Well, I'm excited to have this sneak preview on the podcast. So Vicky will be speaking at Success Mastermind on the 21st and 22nd of September. And if you're not coming to that event, you're clearly crazy. Well, make sure you check out uh, Vicky's TED Talk on YouTube or her book Unraveled or The Kingdom of Us on Netflix. So, um, Vicky, delighted to chat to you and look forward to seeing you at the event coming up in September. Thank you very much. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Three things you need to do now. Number one, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you do not miss an episode. Also, get on over to Amazon to get a copy of my latest book, Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity, Nine and a Half Steps to Improving Your Profits and Cash Flow. Also, join our Facebook group, the Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity community to connect with other business owners.